What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bullish Rippers. This is Evan, better known as Stock Market News on Twitter. Every Monday at 9.20 a.m. Eastern and Friday at 4 p.m., myself and my co-host, Wolf underscore Financial, also known as Gov, put on these spaces to help you guys get ready for the week ahead in the market and then get caught up on the week just past. Our goal is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you guys a little bit. We really appreciate you tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. There we go. Seeing one or two of them filing in right now. Wolf, I sent you the co-host. Do we have you up here? Yep. Sir, how we doing? How was the week? It's going, man. It's going. Good week. Uh, it's over now, dude. Friday. Yeah, dude. This is uh, It's crazy. I feel like this, this This week actually really didn't feel too bad. I mean, this is like the 20th space of the week. But, um, you know, it, this week felt good. Uh, I liked it. It was, you know, I think, I think good for balance to be uh, back home and have life a little easier. Uh, and being on, you know, these Airbnbs and everything. Um, but yeah, it's Friday. So excited to see uh, how we wrap it up. Dude, love to hear it. As we're speaking, I'm taking a look. I checked my portfolio. For some reason, it was moving higher at the it's close. Freezing. Crypto, dude. Crypto's getting a little bit of a bounce here. Yeah. Apple and crypto in the same day. Can't do much better. Yeah, crypto is moving pretty nicely into the close here. Bitcoin coming up towards that 38K level. Uh, yeah, I'm liking it. It's... Still a down week because of that crypto drop last weekend, but interesting. And, you know, I guess my big play of the week, uh, LC, let's see if how they finished, finished down 15%. So we'll see if I end up winning that competition or not. I'm rooting for you. I did not get a play in. It would have been short Robinhood, so I would not have done well. I would have been gloating and it would have been a little too quick. But I just got that tweet out. Brad, I see we have you up here as well. How are you doing, man? Yeah, just happy, happy to to see that it is Friday post four p.m. But uh, yeah, it, uh, long long week I, I think to, to say the least. It was a very eventful week, so I'm sure we'll talk about some of it. One hundred percent long week. Happy it's over. Although I always love this stuff, and you know when your largest holding is Apple, uh, and it's up se- almost seven percent today, six point nine percent exactly. If we're being funny and real about it, um, let me get that tweet out in a second. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll kind of let us get right into it we have a couple speakers planned to come today we have exclusives going to come in and give us how his week was definitely from the more of the perspective of a trader i have omar from homar's catalog in the crowd right now he'll be joining us up here in a little bit to talk some tesla their earnings their week um everything like that we got brad in here to talk some long-term investing and how his week was in the market stock talk weekly or gavin should come up here and join us for a little bit we got a packed panel today i'm super excited for it uh Brad, I would love to throw it to you at the start and kind of hear how your week was in the market. Yeah, so uh, if you guys listened a few hours ago, there's going to be some repetition here, so I apologize in advance. But uh, not not really a ton to report from earlier in the week. We had that that like that barf event and on Monday and Tuesday, or I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. I don't even remember um, where we saw things like Upstart breaking eighty, where where I nibbled there a little bit, and we saw like Facebook breaking three hundred, and I nibbled there a little bit, and paypal down to 150 so the 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 bottom that we saw this week uh i was i was definitely taking advantage of that but but very slowly taking advantage of that as i say all the time um so cash position went from 14 percent to 13.2 percent and then around 12 percent and and so i'm 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 saying i'm taking advantage of this risk reward and excited to be adding but also at the same time balancing that with a respect for all of this uncertainty we have going on um outside of the fundamental cases for my companies because i can be as as confident and, and as as certain and as well not certain but as confident and as well-rounded in in my 
fundamental bull case, but but there are always going to be these these nagging factors um, externally um, that have nothing to do with the company that that can that can weigh on it and can weigh on markets. And and generally, what I do, even though that's frustrating, is when that happens, um, I, I I like to say that this is or I call this a broken stock with, with a healthy company. And as that's happening, um, as long as as long as I rem- am remaining confident. In, in long-term revenue and cash flow compounding. And that's a big if. You have to con- continuously verify that those trends are remaining strong and, and that and that forward-looking demand metrics are, are remaining strong. It, it, it's a constant process, not just to check once and forget it. But um, for for companies for, for companies that, that are showing these these signs of, of continuing to be healthy and, and continuing to have this net income base, I am I am I am taking advantage of it slowly with accumulation in names like Upstart. Um, and names like Progeny, not not there, so Progeny P G N Y, not P R O G. I think there's a company called Progenity, which is in the exact same industry. So I feel the need to 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 say that. But um, yeah, taking advantage of the deals, going extremely slow in taking advantage of the deals. Um, I I also or, or I'm down to 10.6 percent cash um, because yesterday or, or very late last night um, I decided that. I was going to. I'm going to steal a joke from like um, uh, from a million people who have covered this name, but I'm going to swipe right on match. Haha, but I'm sure. But um, that is the owner of five of the seven top dating apps um, in the United States, uh, with with 70% download market share, and and then you have them boasting four of the top seven dating apps globally, um, with almost half of the download market share. So pretty incredible stuff. Um, it's not just Tinder. Um, if you look at App Any data uh, for for Hinge, which is their rising star, even though it's it's pretty much risen at at, the, at this point in time, but daily grossing data, um, it's actually ranking ahead of Bumble, which is Match Group's most formidable competition, and really Tinder's most formidable competition. Um, it's been grossing ahead of them in the United Kingdom, and the United States, and Canada, um, in Japan, and all these places. So it's really looking like the one-two punch in the dating land is now becoming um, Tinder and Hinge. Uh, which which made me I- extremely excited. Obviously, they're also they're doing. I, I'm not going to go too far into it um, because I'm going to maybe talk about it on Thursday, or or I'm going to post a really long blurb on on, on the investment case, um, the news of the week post next week, not this week. But they're also doing cool things with Tinder, uh, like uh, they're they're doing something called like an explore page, which uh, there, there's some there's some there's some uh, quirks and and cool features that they've used that have already been shown to boost engagement. One of them, which I thought was actually pretty cool, was you can apply uh, to to have or to to ask for like a wedding date for for uh yeah for a social wedding. So um, hopefully I won't be in a position where I'm going to need to lean heavily on on that feature in the in the future. But but it's nice to know that it's there. But uh, but in all seriousness, um, this is a 20% compounder, a market share leader in, in a in a field that is growing, um, that has grown over the last five years at a rate of 12.7%. That's going to accelerate in the next five years. Um, younger generations, as as this should surprise no one, um, there's less stigma surrounding online dating. They're they're more likely to be online dating. The pandemic only accelerated that, but at the same time, lower propensities to spend because meetups became less feasible. So now you have these larger install bases, and then you have rising propensity to spend as meetups actually become doable again. Um, I'm calling the meetups uh, to try and keep this G-rated, uh, but uh, you you can imagine that that will be a really nice lever for for their payers or for their monetization. Um, and, and at the same time, throughout all of this, uh, it has an earnings multiple for 2022 of about 38 times. Um, not cheap, not not expensive, in my opinion, for a 20% grower and a market share leader and someone who has proven themselves to be a compounder for the last few decades. But at the same time, looping in that idea of all this macroeconomic uncertainty 
and all all of this balance sheet runoff fear and 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 rates are absolutely going to go up it's it's i mean it's unhealthy for the federal funds rate to be at zero percent and even the even growth investors like myself should should admit that and know that um but at, at this, so no, knowing all that not but and knowing all of that i invested uh just three eighths of a full position in the company today um so 1.5 percent of my investable funds with the plans to invest a full four percent over time um, that that's because 39 times earnings, even though it, it seems like favorable risk reward, it can always get cheaper, especially considering Match is about to report earnings early next week. Um, I'm I'm not really one to to put all my chips on the table at, at one at at one point, and and this is certainly no exception. So, um, not to sound insensitive to people holding a large position in Match, but I am almost rooting for the quarter to be phenomenal and the stock to sell off so that I can I can build out the position some more. Um, but but yeah. Uh, the, the focus is, is certainly on the higher quality names um, in, in my portfolio and, and determining the high quality, not not with revenue growth uh, as, as much as actually having that net, net income or that EBITDA if it's a younger company. And then just juxtaposing that with an Ozon or a Lemonade or a Curiosity Stream, which, which I'm no longer adding to. But so let's go with Ozon and Lemonade, which are which are hyper growth companies without without any traditional profit metric to, to value them based on. Um, if I'm adding to uh, let's call it a good RX with really strong net income in increments of 15% multiple compression. For a lemonade, I need 30% multiple compression or 35% multiple compression to justify adding just because we are in this environment where gross profit multiples don't really work anymore. So yes, lemonade's trading at five times sales versus 80 times sales at the peak, um, but there's still also no EBITDA. So um, it's, it's doing everything I needed to do as a company to, to hold on to my shares um, but it's it's respecting these exogenous factors. It's it's respecting the macroeconomic backdrop, and it's it's knowing that if you're burning through cash right now, which Lemonade's going to be doing for the foreseeable future, markets kind of hate you, and it doesn't matter um, how justified this spend is, so how high your LTV to CAC is on this spend or your gross payback period. I mean, it's just going to be indiscriminately sold off. So it's it's taking advantage of that, but it's it's taking advantage of it like a turtle or a sloth, not like a jackrabbit or a fox. So just going so so slow inching in basis points of cash at a time and and that's going to continue to be the plan love it brad appreciate you coming on here as always i'm excited to hear more about match possibly next thursday i think it's the perfect place for it i'm definitely going to be in your dms a little bit um and and get some more questions that we can get in on that long-term investing space thursday noon although uh me and gov are having some talks on the background so that might change a little bit but we'll see um gov i see you have your hand up yeah, I mean, my goal is going to have that at Thursday at noon. Ideally, if I can get these guys to do power hour, I will. Uh, but I just want to say, Brad, you should probably add that into your uh, into your profile, you know, investor, right? Put it in there, throw it in, make it look good. Right, so when I when I give them uh, 10 Hard bucks every day to, to boost my profile, now I, I'm supporting an investment case. I am not, I, this isn't a matter of thirst anymore. This is a matter of fiscal responsibility. That actually would probably get you a bunch of right swipes if you put. So this is for they own Bumble, right? Uh, no, they, they don't. don't. They they own everything. Pretty much everything else that you can okay. think of besides Bumble. So, so Tinder. So you got to put in Tinder partial owner of Tinder in your bio. Definitely not miss that. That is that is a fantastic idea. Doing it right now. It honestly isn't a bad idea. <laughs> that probably would help a little bit. Um, but with that, Brad, we'll definitely come back to you a little bit more in the call. Um, and, and get some more thoughts on the week and get into a little bit more discussion. But I did want to throw us over to Omar and Omar's catalog to talk a little bit about Tesla's earnings from this week. I don't know if we could have done this Fin Twit Friday 
talk about this past week without talking about Tesla earnings. We're going to talk a little bit about Apple earnings as well in a little bit, but those two really stuck out to me this week. No way I was going to have this call without one of my Tesla guys on here, guys or girls, you know, uh, just how I speak. But yes, Omar, would love to hear your thoughts on the Tesla earnings. Yeah. Hey, man, what a exciting and crazy time for the market and for EVs in general. There's been a lot of really interesting stuff happening. And I would sum it up as basically saying the stock is doing terrible, but the business is doing great. And really, I think what you have in the market right now is across all EV stocks and really to a lesser extent, the legacy automakers, you're really seeing the movements characterized by macroeconomic uh, factors and not so much by the fundamentals of the company. And I'm sure obviously everybody in this room is well aware of this and what's going on with the Fed starting to raise interest rates over the course of this year, starting in March. They've now signaled this week. And of course, their massive, massive balance sheet that they're going to unwind. And I think there's some concern among investors that, okay, you know, what does the earnings multiple look like as we start to tighten monetary policy? I mean, you know, 125 basis point interest rate isn't really going to make that much of a difference in flows and of capital and that sort of thing. But people are starting to look at this and the EV stock bubble, or, you know, if you want to call it that, is kind of the poster child for this kind of, or, you know, one of the poster childs, maybe GameStop, uh, crypto, (laughs) meme stocks. But definitely, I think EVs are one of those sectors where over the last year, really since the start of the pandemic, you've had some eye-popping valuations. And just taking a look at my list, uh, Nikola, you know, this is a basically a fraudulent company that came to be worth more than Ford at one point during the pandemic. Nikola now down 30% in the last month, down to 742 it's backed at $10. So it was worth more when the company did nothing. Now that they've actually completed this acquisition, the SPAC is worth less. Rivian absolutely slaughtered 45% in the last month, down to all-time lows. Not good. GM and Ford also down. Lucid down 28% over the last month. And then finally, Tesla is down 23%. So not good. And Elon Musk did not help when he came on the earnings call. Otherwise, great quarter. And he said, you know what? Uh, I have this product roadmap update for you guys. And they were leaking all kinds of photos of the Cybertruck. Everybody was expecting them to give all these details about their future products and say, this is what we're working on. It's going to be really great. And instead, he came on the call and he said, we're not going to do any new products this year. We're completely focused on just really ramping up the cash cow that we've built here with our existing product line. And that was, I think, disappointing for fans, for people who want to buy the Cybertruck or some of these other products. But it is kind of bullish for the business, I think. And you just look at these numbers. This is a pivotal pivotal quarter. It is... In Elon Musk's words, the word 
the quarter when Tesla is a real company now. They, if you look at their past few years of earnings, last year they produced about $761 million of net income. In the years before that, they lost millions or even billions of dollars in the years before. Tesla was kind of the joke of the financial world. The whole argument was, well, EVs are nice, but you can't make any money off them. In 2021, they posted $5.5 billion of net income, and they were profitable, even excluding regulatory credits, all kinds of you know government assistance that uh, they get money when they sell every EV. They were massively profitable. They've turned a corner. And as a matter of fact, I think one of the most telling slides on their deck was that they've basically wiped out their accumulated deficit for the entire company. You know, there was this argument that, hey, this company has never made money. They've lost so much money over time that all of the profits they've made are small in comparison. And for the first time, that's no longer true. The company has produced money over its history. So this is a completely different era for for Tesla and for electric vehicles. I mean, you can see it in the industry. You can see it in the kind of products Ford and GM are putting out, the way people are talking about it. Everybody wants to say that they're producing electric vehicles, but only Tesla is really doing it in serious numbers. I mean, last quarter in Q4, when Tesla produced 300,000 electric vehicles, General Motors produced 26, okay? General Motors invented the electric vehicle in a modern sense with the EV1, and they've fallen so far behind. The biggest car companies in the world can't match Tesla in production, and the situation, it, it, they're not catching up. They're actually getting further apart. With just two factories in Fremont and Shanghai, they did nearly a million units this year, and at the end of the year, they were ramped for 1.25 million units. So this is really the key is production. And they're focusing on production and, and ramping these products. Nobody else, like when you look at the Mach-E, for example, they produced about 50,000 units. So some people may say, hey, I like the Mach-E. I actually think it's better than a Tesla. But if you're not producing enough units, you can't sell any. And what Tesla is doing on production is completely different. They're looking at this top down in a completely different way than anybody else. While others are buying battery packs, the new factories, which are coming online in Austin and Berlin right now for Tesla, are building these their new battery architecture, 4680. This is a huge, huge deal. This is something they've been talking about really for years, an entirely new way to build an electric vehicle where... The Texas factory, which, by the way, is their corporate headquarters. So if you're working at Tesla, you're in the Texas factory and you're overlooking the factory floor. This is like a culture of manufacturing and getting things done. Like they live and breathe manufacturing. And they have an entirely new type of cell, the 4680, which they're making at the Texas factory, putting into a pack there. Well, actually not right now, but they're going to. Right now they're importing it from California. But they're going to make the cells there, put them into a pack, and put them into a car right there. This is basically an entirely new way of building an electric vehicle that's going to bring the cost down to less than what it costs to produce a gas car. 
regulations are just making gas cars more expensive as you have to com uh, comply with emissions control regulations and EVs are getting cheaper. We're really hitting an economic turning point. And you see people like Peter Campbell in the Financial Times this week note that in the UK, because of all the tax incentives and things like that and changes in the way things are regulated, it's actually cheaper to get a Tesla Model 3 than a BMW 3 Series in the UK. And that's why you see EVs at 10%. So between Austin and Berlin going online and their new battery architecture and the full self-driving beta, which is now at 60,000 users, this is the two, basically the two key priorities is their AI efforts to make the car drive itself and launching this new battery architecture. And that's basically what they're going to spend the whole year focusing on ramping these products and, uh, and, and doing these things. And I think if you really look at the financials, just take a look and look at the numbers, look at the past numbers. We've reached a turning point in electric vehicles where this is not a money loser. It's not something that looks nice from an ESG perspective, but is actually a terrible business. This is turning into a cash cow and the market conditions in automotive are going to continue to be, it's looking like, like 2021, rising prices, tight supply chain. And I think it, uh, it really looks like a huge turning point. They decided not to launch any products today and take a hit and put some of the supply chain into those products because they're going to milk this cash cow this year launch the new 4680Y in these two new factories. And it's it's just a new era completely for the company. If you look at where the stock is moving, it's moving down. But if you look at where the earnings are moving, they're moving up. And everyone's projections for the earnings are moving up. And a lot of analysts are raising their price targets, even the bears. So, yeah. I can't tell you which way the macroeconomic winds are going to blow. I can't tell you what is a fair multiple of earnings that the market will decide is appropriate to assign to some of these EV stocks. But I can tell you that I think at some point, stocks do tend to catch up with earnings and fundamentals. And on that perspective, things are looking extremely bright. And whatever happens, I think Tesla... With $17 billion in cash, they increased that by $1.5 billion this quarter. They've been repaying down debt, $1.5 billion this quarter. Total debt is down to, I think, around $1.5 billion left. So this is a company that is really well prepared to weather no matter what happens. They're not like, say, Rivian or Lucid or some of these younger companies that may need to raise capital and there may not be great market conditions to do that. No, they have the op they have they can fund their own business by the products they're already selling. And companies like Ford and GM that are much more uh, much more receptive to changes in demand based on things like the interest rate, they're going to also have a much tougher time than companies like Tesla that have a much stronger order book and and demand at potentially higher price points. So long story short, the market's getting killed, but the business 
for Tesla is looking pretty exciting. Awesome, Omar. Thank you so much for that explanation. And, you know, I love how your approach of kind of taking in and, you know, looking at the stock itself and the macro conditions in there. I I did have one looming question. There was a couple headlines from the conference call that that stood out the most to me. You hit on most of them um, with the being profitable since inception now. Um, We didn't really talk about the, the Tesla expects to grow comfortably over 50% in 2022, which I know is something that he's been saying for a while and has been the goal. So maybe less of a headline on this one, just uh, just a good tweet. But the one that that stood out to me that was something that I did not expect to hear was when Elon said that he thought the Tesla humanoid robot, which he kept calling Optimus, so I guess maybe that's the name we're going with, um, has the potential to be more significant over time than its car business. Uh, I wanted to know maybe your thoughts on, on those comments and that sentiment. It kind of fits actually really well with your picture on that account. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is really interesting. Just to touch on the first point really briefly, I think it's a really important point because Tesla basically iterated on this conference call and in their earnings release that they're running at a run rate of 1.25 million. If they produced at the rate they were producing at the fourth quarter all year, they'd produce 1.25 million units. Well, they actually plan to grow from the fourth quarter level. So just looking at their factories in California and in Shanghai, China that are already running, Elon says we can comfortably get over 1.5 million units. And when you look at their track record of growing production, I think they can do it. It's really quite amazing to see the rest of the industry shrink deliveries across the board because they just can't get chips. And Tesla is just growing like crazy this is really a golden opportunity for them and when you look at that plus the fact that they've got shanghai i mean sorry texas and berlin coming online i mean these are going to be dramatically better cars as they ramp them they're going to sell a lot of units some analysts like dan ives are predicting maybe even as many as two million units which is kind of insane going from under a million to maybe just under two million but then again tesla went from five hundred thousand to nearly a million from 2020 to 2021. So that's really exciting and it looks really good for growth. On the subject of the bot, I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, for the last 16 years, I've been using this self-driving software on my Tesla. So I can get in my car and I can say, okay, you know, take me to San Jose. And I'll get in the car and turn on autopilot and it'll start driving. It'll make turns. If someone jumps into the street, it'll stop. It'll get onto the freeway. It'll do everything it needs to do to, in some cases, get all the way to where I want to go without me doing anything. I'm just sitting in the car, listening to music, singing, dancing, whatever. But with the caveat that you have to pay attention because sometimes it'll try to crash into things. So, you know, maybe some people don't want to use it because you have to take over sometimes, but it's actually very usable. And Tesla keeps putting out updates every couple of weeks and makes the thing drive better and better. And there's now 60,000 people using this across the United States. So what Tesla is doing here with FSD is really potentially larger than their entire business when you use it and you start to think about it and the implications, it's extremely powerful that Tesla has demonstrated that you can basically automate drives with just cameras. And this is something that they're going to be selling and monetizing. But 
they basically realized that, okay, you know, I have like some videos that I've posted where you can see the car and it's on a road with like tons of people in San Francisco and there's bikers and people walking and there's also buses and cars and things like that. And it just navigates it. It goes around the people. It knows when to wait on the side and let the bike pass and move over for the bus. And it's just amazing. So they've developed this capability to do that with cars and they're going to basically make a prototype this year of a robot to put that AI in a human body form too. And then that'll be able to help them with manufacturing and also help them with logistics for when the cars drive themselves. Now to analysts, like this all sounds like Elon's high, right? They're calling, they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the take rate for the full self-driving? How do you plan to get over 2 2 million units in 2023, 2024? And Tony Sakanagi asked that, and Elon basically told him to go fuck himself. He said, look, you know, you don't understand FSD, and we're going to have robots. And, you know, the analyst didn't like that. But that's Elon for you, right? While everyone else would be thinking of like, okay, how do we ramp up the car business He's already thinking of, okay, so we've developed this self-driving technology. Could it power a robot instead? And that's why I think there's still upside, even at a trillion-dollar valuation for Tesla to become you know, a multi-trillion-dollar company. Yeah, it sounds insane. Yeah, it may not work. But honestly, using their FSD beta, I have to say it's definitely worth giving a shot. Appreciate that, Omar. And and we're definitely going to keep it on this Tesla talk and keep you in the conversation, Omar. If you're liking what Omar is saying, make sure you're checking out and following the whole Mars catalog account. I see they made it into an NFT. We got the, the, what is that? Damn, I knew the shape. I shouldn't even gone for it. But we got the NFT up there. I'm loving it. Uh, Make sure you're checking them out. But I wanted to loop in our other resident Tesla expert uh, and get his thoughts on the Tesla earnings stock talk. Would love to hear your thoughts. Hey, man. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was a bit late. I, I, I'm sad I missed Omar's comments because I was like listening to, it, to him talk about it. But um, yeah, for me, you know, I think this was an earnings where for the people in the know um, with Tesla, this was a fantastic report and really encouraging. And I think for the people who may not be up to speed, they might not have really gotten what's going on. And and so I think there's a lot of things to talk about. Um you know, without, you know, at risk of sounding hyperbolic, I really think that, you know, this company may be developing into potentially the greatest growth story in modern stock market history. Um, you're looking at, a, you know, a company that has gone from 200 million in revenue to 54 billion in revenue in a decade's time. Um, that alone is impressive. But when you look at what, how they've done it and how efficiently they've done it, despite increasing competition, it's really stunning. You know, if, if we annualize the free cash flow from this quarter, you're looking at 11 billion plus in free cash flow. That's with just two of Tesla's operational plans. Um, when we bring into account Berlin and Austin, right, the CapEx burden of those plants was still on the balance sheet for Tesla, but they're not at production capacity. So, once those plants get to production capacity, not to mention Elon mentioning that they're already scouting the next fact, the location for the next factory, um, you're factoring in, you know, arguably at least 100% growth on top of the existing numbers. And, you know, Morgan Stanley made this comment as well, uh, right after the earnings, um, 
you know, they, they released two notes after the earnings. But the first note they released, uh, you know, the comment that stood out to me on the page was that they said, look, this is a business, you know, that's growing at 50% top line year over year. How many 50% multi-year top line growers are generating a greater than 1% free cash flow yield? And the answer is few, if none, especially companies of Tesla size. And yeah, you know, again, the argument can be made, especially in this monetary climate, that the multiple is very high and that fundamentally this company is overvalued. But the reality is, is that this company has a lot more runway than even the juggernauts of industry like Apple and Microsoft and Google, because those industries, you know, while while, while Apple may continue to grow individual products at, you know, a 20 to 25 percent clip, you know, we're sitting at at, at five to six percent global EV adoption with a runway to potentially, you know, 30% plus EV, global EV adoption by 2030. So that's in a matter of eight years, you're looking at, you know, a jump from 6% to 30% adoption. And you have to ask yourself what the numbers will look like at that juncture. You know, with Tesla generating 11 billion annualized free cash flow now, with 30% adoption, what will we be looking at? Will we be looking at 60 to 70 billion annualized free cash flow? And if we are, then this company will start to look a lot more reasonably valued at that juncture. And another thing is that I think people are overlooking is that, you know, over the course of the last five years, I mean, if you go back to, to you know, 2015, 2016, and you ride the stock price all the way from 2015, 2016, pretty much through 2019, there wasn't any incredible volatility or upside movement in the stock. And so none of the growth during that period of time was truly accounted for, right? We're seeing that growth, though. You know, there was an exponential explosion in the stock price over the course of the last few years, and it may have seemed too steep for some. But, you know, in my eyes, this is really just the stock playing catch up to this phenomenal story of growth that Tesla has built over these years. And, you know, not only did we see a beat, we saw a beat this last quarter, despite earnings expectations from the street being raised in response to those blowout delivery numbers that we saw, you know, if, by virtue of being a car company, Tesla is going to drop delivery numbers and analysts are going to adjust expectations. And despite that, they beat on free cash flow yield. They beat on EPS expectations. They beat on revenue expectations. I mean, this company is just starting to generate more money than a people really thought possible a long time ago. And when you look at the gross margin growth between them and other automakers, it's not even comparable. Every other automaker in the world is either declining in gross margin growth or flatlining. And Tesla is the only one that's ramping up year after year after year. And so if you take that into factor and then, you know, we look past that and say, all right, what does the next five years look like for Tesla? A lot of people looked at the guidance on this call and thought, you know, maybe they were disappointed by the fact that Elon said they're not really considering um, developing the 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 $25,000 model yet. I found that very encouraging because if you paid enough attention, he said, instead, we're focusing on developing the Tesla bot, which we will be, we believe will be a major product category. This is the whole thesis behind Tesla. All of the people who have been in the Tesla bull cap over the few years have been of the belief 
that the real value in this company is not necessarily just from the cars, but it's from the software and the additional verticals that they have access to, right? One of the first bull cases I ever put out on Tesla was that their access to additional verticals is the crux of the valuation. Their access to the energy storage markets, their access to the solar markets, their access to the insurance provision markets, their access to the software market, their access to autonomy and other applications. These are all hundred billion plus dollar industries. And so for Tesla to be saying, hey, we're pivoting towards penetrating a new product category, penetrating a new vertical, instead of just focusing on introducing another model of vehicle. That should be encouraging for anyone that's viewing this valuation or this company in a long-term perspective. So, you know, this, this, this has become less of a speculative story over time, but it's still retaining that crown of being a high growth story. And that is very, very rare. You simply do not see companies of this size with 50% multi-year top line growth. You just don't, let alone companies that are generating a positive free cash flow yield. And, the question becomes, and I, and I know Omar was speaking on this when I first joined, I don't know how, how much in detail you went into the point, but the manufacturing advantage of Tesla is really where they are going to continue to drive an advantage here. Because as this company grows, their margins are going to increase. They've already proven that over the last three years, that they can exponentially increase margins through efficiency of production. Once they get to five, six, seven gigafactories, there's a good chance this company can be doing four, five hundred billion in revenue easily. And for those who are making the argument that there will be competitive headwinds and, and you know, that legacy auto is going to take a share of this market, they certainly will take a share of the market. But the question is, will they be able to scale, scale their electric vehicle programs as efficiently as Tesla has been able to do? with the same level of gross margin that Tesla has been able to do. And the answer that to that, barring some incredible bias towards Ford and GM, is absolutely not. Because they were never able to achieve that level of, of gross margins and manufacturing efficiency, even with internal combustion engine vehicles. So now they're in a place, in a pivot point, where Tesla, all Tesla has to do to retain its advantage in this industry over the next five years is continue to build gigafactories. That's it. That's literally it. If they continue to scale production um, and continue to penetrate additional verticals, that's all they need to do. Ford, GM, Volkswagen have to convert their entire manufacturing supply chains, facilities, um, and production lines to producing an entirely new class of vehicle that they're just not familiar with doing. We've seen delays not only from the F-150 Lightning, We've seen delays from pretty much every other um, legacy auto rendition of an electric vehicle. And technologically, them being behind, that's only one part of the equation. And that, I think, itself is a four- or five-year lag in technological efficiency at least, right? I mean, the only one that's even comparable in, in battery performance is Lucid, and they're a tiny company, and they don't have nearly the scale. When you're talking about companies that have the scale to compete with Tesla, the battery technology conversation is laughable. And so if you take that out of the equation, then then what is the real potential competitive advantage that, that these legacy auto companies can have to penetrate this space? And if you make the assumption, which I think is very hard not to make, that we will be at 25 to 30% electric vehicle penetration by 2030, 
The question you have to ask yourself is if along the way, over the next eight years, if Tesla continues to scale its automobile program, which it will, if it if Tesla, you know, as we've said, as I said previously, can increase production capacity at Fremont still by another 30 percent, can increase production efficiency still at Shanghai by another 40 to 50 percent and then ramp up Berlin um, to, to maximum capacity, ramp up Austin to maximum capacity, open in another few additional gigafactories. You're talking about, you know, a five to six X uh, increase in production based off current assets and current projects alone. Add to that the penetration in, in additional penetration in software, which, you know, on this call, especially Elon guided it to be, you know, potentially even more profitable than their automobile business. Expand the, those software applications to other industries, expand them to the Tesla AI bot, you know, ramp up the energy storage market, which, Morgan Stanley projects will 5x in value by 2030. The energy storage market alone and Tesla's consumer energy storage market products are the best on the market. Um, and that's something that, that, that the Wall Street analysts and the broader market are just completely overlooking. There is no competitor in the consumer energy storage market that has brand recognition and ability to penetrate regional consumer markets the way that Tesla does. This is a massively underrated advantage because Tesla can simply put up shop in pretty much any state in the country and sell product. There's no energy business in the country that can do that, um, especially on a consumer level. So this is becoming an energy business. This is becoming an automobile business. This is becoming a software business, and this is becoming an AI business. And the, the quicker the Wall Street realizes that, um, a lot of these bear cases will turn into bull cases. And, you know, like Omar said earlier, even the bears are raising their price targets. Even the people that are down there in the two and $300 price targets are having no choice but to move them up. And that trend is going to only continue to increase because this is kind of the perfect storm for Tesla. You have global tailwinds, you have government tailwinds, you have ramping efficiency. You finally have them positive on a free cash flow yield. You have them growing additional verticals. You have global brand recognition. You have arguably the best CEO and uh, company manager on earth running the company. There's, I mean, I am just as bullish on the company, if not more bullish um, than I was before the ER. I know there was a sell-off, but we're in a, we're in a, a monetary environment of multiple compression. You know, if, if, if nothing had changed with the Fed, the stock would have ripped after that earnings report. And I genuinely believe that. Um, but going forward, this is a stock. I mean, people were asking me going into the earnings report, you know, Tesla's going to dump after earnings. Are you going to sell? Of course, I'm not going to sell. I've owned the stock since 2016. I don't plan on selling it anytime soon. And I think it's very difficult to make a case, at least over the next decade, that Tesla will not be one of the top three to five biggest companies in the world um, perpetually. I mean, I can't see uh, a near-term, medium-term, or a long-term scenario where that changes. Um, we're just headed in the direction, the exact direction that this company is headed. And if Elon can pull off Tesla bot and actually have that, you know, be applied to production lines and factories and rote work all over the globe, that's a trillion dollar opportunity in and of itself. Um, not to mention the automobile business. So yeah, I'm as bullish as ever on Tesla. In fact, more bullish after that call. 
seeing them become a, you know, a cash flow generating business of this size with this level of growth is literally unheard of. I'm somebody that's been trading and investing in growth stocks for 10 years. I have never seen a company of this size grow at 50% uh, top line in a multi-year fashion um, with this kind of, you know, magnitude of, of government and global tailwinds behind it. So yeah, um, you know, Tesla the moon. <laughs> yeah, I think Stock Talk Weekly just nailed it as always. And I would just add on some of the topics he said, report came out of Bloomberg this week. You know what the most productive car factory in North America was uh, over was the last year? Sorry. That was one of my questions. Ah, you got you stole it from me. Please. Sorry, stole it. Yeah, but yeah, the car factory that produced more cars than other any other car factory in North America were was Tesla's factory in California. Okay, now California is not the most business business friendly place. So, what are they really going to be able to do in Texas? And not only are they producing more cars per factory, they have a level of efficiency that's unmatched, a level of margins that's unmatched with 30% automotive gross margin, but they're actually going to increase that. I think margins could go to 40% or even as high as 50% when you factor in all of the software stuff. Like, for example, their full self-driving package, it now costs $12,000 or $199 a month. So you can pay $199 for a month and try it out. A lot of people who try it out, I think they're either going to end up buying it or subscribing month after month. So when you look at really, okay, what's the margin on the vehicle now when I'm selling them things like the full self-driving subscription, things like Tesla insurance, which is now in five states, which is a, essentially a data service that Tesla sells to underwriters who then underwrite the actual policies. Things like premium connectivity, supercharging, all these things are essentially software services. And then as the FSD gets better, as you have all these factories pumping out millions of cars, they're collecting data. They're sourcing failure cases that's actually making the driving better, uh, the self-driving better. And as that matures, as it becomes more reliable than a human driver, which Elon says is going to happen this year, but he says that every year. But Elon says this year it's going to actually surpass, you know, your average human driver. And long term, when you look at really, okay, now the car is full self-driving, what's the opportunity for me to now sell movies, video games, apps, other kinds of software services to this captive user who I now have in the car? Um, it's going to be, I think, margins that are just unheard of in the auto industry uh at a scale for electric vehicles that's never been seen before i love it i love this tesla talk um omar anytime we're talking tesla feel free to jump in like that like always i was about to send it to you either way so just want to let you know that always welcome to do that the point about the most efficient factory is something that i don't think can be overlooked now when i was looking at the bloomberg article like i, I don't know how like apples to apple apples to apples it is is the fremont factory just bigger than the other ones that kind of how it works but for me one thing that that i know i've heard elon say a bunch um one of his quotes is is prototypes are easy production is hard and i, I don't know exactly when he said this but in the past he said that you know tesla for us to succeed we have to become the best 
manufacturing and production company in the world. That's a huge focus for them. I think this was around the uh, Model 3 ramp-up time when he would have said that. But I, I just wanted to kind of – you kind of touched on it there. Um, and Stock Talk talked a little bit as well so about kind of the factories and how they're adding new factories in the future. I kind of just wanted to know where where your your mind is at with, with Tesla adding um, capacity. Uh, you know, are you kind of more excited right now about the possibility of ramping up the production facilities that they already have and getting those to the full Fremont level of efficiency and maybe even Fremont going up? Or are we kind of in the point now where we're getting hyped up about where that next gigafactory might be? Omar, are you there? Did you hear that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought you were talking to Stock Talk. Uh, sorry, the question was on the factory ramps. Could you repeat that, please? Yeah. So, kind of just in general, when your head is at a, you, when you're thinking about Tesla expanding capacity and in the future, are you kind of more excited right now about, you know, the, the Giga Texas and, and Giga Berlin and kind of where we're at and the ramping of that and getting that up to Fremont levels? Or are we kind of getting giddy and excited about the possibility that Elon's mentioned of that they're looking for the next Gigafactory location and they might have some more announcements for that later in the year? Well, they're going to keep building Gigafactories. They want three terawatt hours of output by 2030. And each factory is going to be roughly 200 gigawatt hours. So you can expect them to have 10 to 15 factories in 2030. Now, I think when you look at really what's going on right now, Texas, like if you're in the Austin, Texas area, go look at this. This building is just massive. It is, they're going to be pumping out millions of electric vehicles from this factory. And it's going to change the streets of North America. Like this is really exciting. And they're using this new process it's a dramatically simpler process for making an electric vehicle. You're not making the car and then making the battery and then marrying them together. The car is the battery. The floor of the car is the battery pack. And you just put the seats right onto the battery pack. And they're using these new larger format cells, which cuts down costs and cuts down interconnections, makes it simpler, makes the car better to drive. Like people haven't wrapped their heads yet around what's happening. Tesla has now executed on their battery day plan with the CATL LFP now making up the majority of their products, plus these new 4680 cells, which are going to be made at massive quantities. Like we're talking four times as many cells from Texas as came from Giga Nevada. So we're really looking at an inflection point in what it costs to produce an EV. And I think that a lot of people aren't going to be prepared for this because costs have been going up all year with supply chain issues. But with these new innovations in battery, the costs are going to start going down in a very dramatic way. And you're going to see a shocking situation where electric vehicles actually become cheaper in every way, straight off the lot than a gas car. And then even after you buy it, you're saving money on gas and you're saving money on maintenance. So tell me, who's going to want to buy a out-of-date gas car when it's more expensive? Probably not many consumers. They'll just pick the option that's cheaper and better. So I think, yeah, Giga Texas and Giga Berlin are going to be really exciting. They're not just new factories. They're making the cars in a completely different way. This is a way that you know, it's a turning point for EVs. First, they were just take the gas car and convert it to electric. That made for a really bad EV with not the best range. 
Then they had the skateboard design where you essentially take laptop batteries, put thousands of them in a battery pack, and that's a car. But that was kind of making do with what we have. Now we have these cells that are designed specifically for EVs that are designed to just make a much better EV. And now there's only 960 cells. That's a lot easier to manufacture into a pack. Now you have the pack integrated with the vehicle. That's a lot easier to manufacture. So, yeah, this next generation of vehicles out of Austin and Berlin, these factories are going to produce millions of units. And they're going to produce millions of units because of the new process that enables them to produce uh, vehicles in higher volumes than they've ever been produced before. And I have no doubt that many of these new processes are going to be retrofitted into the China and California factories as well. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on that. You know, Fremont being the most productive auto factory in North America is evidence alone of what is possible. If Tesla can achieve that level of efficiency at every one of its plants, there's going to be a no catch-up game involved. You know, the, the money that GM and Ford are investing in their current electric vehicle facilities, you know, 30 and $40 billion respectively, doesn't really account for them vertically integrating the supply chain related to those vehicles. You know, Tesla, while they're still using outside battery manufacturers to meet demand, at a certain juncture, I mean, it's inevitable the way they're headed with, with, with cell design um, and internal manufacturing capabilities that they won't eventually fully vert- vertically integrate the battery, battery manufacturing process into the company itself, which will not only further drive merge, margins higher, but you know, gross margins and, and profit per vehicle for Tesla are already leaps and bounds ahead of every legacy manufacturer. And so you're just going to further drive that advantage. But more than that, you know, you have to look at the ability of these other companies to expand while maintaining competitive strength in the, you know, the things that matter, like battery technology and manufacturing efficiency. But, you know, one thing I I encourage people to do, if you're a fundamentally based investor or if you're, you know, somebody who scans companies fundamentally, you know, Elon is saying that next year comfortably, he said, you know, Tesla will grow over 50% top line. He said over the next three to five years, they'll comfortably grow 30 to 50% top line. Even if you discount those remarks, and let's say we're conservative, and let's say we think that Tesla is going to grow 20% top year, top line over the next three years forward, right? Go to a scanner, and then Morgan Stanley said this, go to a scanner or go to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever way you search for stocks. And type in those metrics. Find me another business, any other business in the world other than Tesla, that generates more than $10 billion annualized free cash flow with a more than 20% three-year forward revenue growth. And, and tell me how many businesses you see on that list. You won't see any. And that is the crux of, of the value here is that if Tesla can continue to ramp these growth numbers, if Tesla can continue to capture market share and drive manufacturing efficiency and drive technological efficiency, you're talking about a crown prince in an emerging industry, which hardly ever happens. You know, we see first movers in emerging industries all the time. Very rarely do they keep the crown for more than a few years. 
because they don't do enough to drive advantages like manufacturing efficiency and technological efficiency over their competitors early enough. Tesla, that's all they have to focus on now. If they can continue to drive manufacturing efficiency, continue to open up new verticals, um, and continue to grow this free cash flow, they're not going to need to raise additional capital. They're going to be able to grow without having to revamp anything about their supply chains. And they're just going to continue getting more and more efficient. Um, so let's wait until Berlin and Austin are at full capacity. And I think this entire picture really change. This company is becoming more and more amenable to fundamental viewpoints um, the further that it progresses in the life of the company. I know a lot of you are familiar with Jay, Special Situations Research, who's on a lot of our spaces, and he's a, he's a buddy of mine. And you know he's a very fundamentally driven investor, and he is very value-based. This week, after the dip in Tesla, even he was asking me, where do you think is a good place to buy? So you're, you, you, Tesla is converting more and more value-based and fundamental-based analysts into believing in this story. Because you can find great, massive companies like this, 100, 100 billion plus market cap companies that are growing well. But the ones that are, most of them, at least the ones that are growing at a 30% plus clip, are not generating free cash flow. Right? And so the ones that are, are generally growing at a much slower rate. You're talking about, on average, between 5 to 18%. So if a company can grow 30 to 50% top line while maintaining the same metrics and being a company of, of equal or larger size, you have to ask yourself, what's driving those advantages? What's allowing Tesla to do that? And as Elon always says, it's manufacturing efficiency. And to think that that is easily replicable is the big mistake that legacy auto manufacturers are making. That is that is the, the biggest comparative um, error that is being made in this industry is to say that Tesla should be valued like legacy auto companies because they just make cars and legacy auto companies make more cars. Well, the cars that legacy auto companies are making are obsolete for all intents and purposes over the next eight years. No one's going to want internal combustion engine vehicles in 10 years. And so uh, accounting and assigning value for the ability to manufacture those cars is just completely out of touch with the growth of the industry. This is going to be the biggest turnover in an existing industry that we have ever seen. So much of existing infrastructure in the global economy is built around internal combustion engine vehicles, including gas stations. Uh, you know, thankfully, the highways and roads and, and that infrastructure is reusable because electric vehicles still drive on roads. But other than that, all of the other infrastructure facilities and manufacturing prowess that has gone into these internal combustion engine vehicles is obsolete and replacing that and, and, and continuing to drive efficiency in those facilities is not child's play. And it doesn't just require an injection of liquidity that doesn't solve the problem. Ford and GM and, and Volkswagen can invest hundreds of billions if they want. It's a matter of catching up to Tesla in two things that they cannot do at this present point, which is manufacturing efficiency and technological advantages. Um, they're not going to get anywhere near it. And if we get to the juncture where Tesla opens up the AI bot, where they open up the software program, where they're generating additional revenue from energy storage, on top of driving these advantages further and further and further, we're not even going to be having the conversation in five years about if this is a car company. 
I don't think we should be having that conversation now. But in five years, it'll become so immediately obvious to the broader market that Ford, GM, and Volkswagen won't even be mentioned in the same sentence as Tesla. Yeah, really quickly, I think you're 100% right about manufacturing. And really, when you look at the situation with manufacturing, I think it's really telling that their new corporate headquarters in Texas is inside the factory. When you're working there in an office, you're working above the factory floor. In Shanghai, China, it's the same thing. The offices are in the factory and the boss works there on a desk with everybody else. Same thing in Berlin, same thing. Well, in uh, California, it's a little, you know, maybe a 30 minute drive or something like that between the factory and the offices. But they have a lot of people actually working at the factory, um, especially people who are like designing the vehicles are just basically designing them right on the side of the production line. And when they validated something's better, it goes in. So the manufacturing culture, I think, is just unparalleled. And this is a company that stated that their goal is to produce 20 million electric vehicles a year by 2030. So Toyota and Volkswagen, the two biggest makers of fossil fuel cars today, they're each producing about 10 million units annually. So you have a company that has basically stated their goal as becoming twice as big in the number of electric vehicles produced as the leading manufacturer, basically as big as Toyota and Volkswagen combined today. So this is a pretty shocking goal, whether you think they're going to actually make it or not. And finally, I would just add that this is a guy who basically taught himself how to make a rocket and hired some people. And they built a rocket, which is now the only rocket that the United States has that can take people to space. So the United States need to send, needs to send cargo or people to the space station or somewhere else, to the moon even. They use SpaceX. And, you know, this guy didn't study rocket science in school. He just figured it out. And they figured out how to mass produce these rockets so that they can do dozens of launches a year. And this is really what we're talking about here. And... It's a similar kind of culture. They're building a Tesla to pull off the goal of converting the world to electric vehicles. Love it. Thank you so much, Omar and Stock Talk. Uh, I appreciate you guys for joining in. Omar, there's so much to unpack with this Tesla story. I, I want to dig more into FSD and, and so much more. So definitely have to have you on this spaces or another spaces we do in the future. If you like Omar and what you just heard, make sure you are following the whole Mars catalog account that is up here. And with that, I'm actually going to say one more time, I haven't really said this at all. Make sure you're following all the speakers that we have up here. This is a top class group of speakers. I only got, you know, selective people to come in here, people who I know we're going to feed you guys amazing information. What they're posting on their feeds is going to be that much better. So click into everyone's profile, check them out, give them a follow. Uh, I want to throw it over to exclusive now, hear how your week was in the market. I know you had your hand up there. If you want to talk a little bit about Tesla or whatever it was there, would definitely love to hear that, bring in on the conversation there, and then kind of just in general how your week was in the market. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me. Um, hope everyone had a great week and definitely some great speakers up here, so give them all a follow. Um, yeah, no, I had my hand raised because, you know, I, I was I was, um, I was, was listening to everyone talk about Tesla, and I was just I – 
I was going back to when I purchased common stock in 2018 when Tesla was literally a laughing stock as far as their production and their, their technology, yada, yada. You know the story if you were trading in 2018. That's when I bought Tesla because as soon as you see a company that you know is innovative and that is led by literally a genius, you know that down the line, that's going to be the company you want to invest in. Do you think people thought that Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, they were you know, doing the, the next generation thing at, at the beginning? No, of course not. So those are the kind of people, the underdog, if you will. Those are the kind of people I like to invest in long term. So I'm going to be holding my common stock. I sold a little bit of, at the all-time highs, of course, with everybody else. I sold a little bit for profit. But, um, you know, when I, when I think of Tesla, I think of innovation and I think of reliance. They are not reliant on outsourcing their technology, which is what a lot of these companies like Mercedes-Benz and Ford and, you know, they're, they're outsourcing to hire engineers to develop the technology that what Tesla did when they when they when there was a sh the shortage on chips, you know what t Tesla and Elon they said you know what we're just gonna use the chips that are available and we're gonna program to how we can use them and put them in our cars and not take a hit in production. So there's a reason why Tesla outperformed everybody else and it was because well not outperformed but had their consistent growth was because they were thinking out of the box and they weren't relying on the technology and software that was you know, other the, the some of these other bigger manufacturers were dependent upon. So um, that's why I had my hand raised because I was going to interject and just kind of add that on the back end of it. But, you know, it Tesla, I love Tesla. And anybody here that knows me or follows me knows that I trade Tesla almost every day of every week, of every month, of every year. It doesn't matter. Tesla is not only year-over-year -year growth on their, <laughs> on, on their company, their options are always, you know, they're always performing. They're always giving gains, whether you're following it up or down. That's why I love Tesla, too. It's it's a tradable stock. It's a growth stock. It's a funny stock to watch. And, I mean, Elon is hilarious to follow. I mean, come on. It's, it's just a great company. So, you know, it, it, I have an unorthodox way of looking at Tesla, but I'll tell you one thing for sure is it is going to be one of the biggest companies on the planet, um, if not the biggest company on the planet, eventually. It may not be right now, but eventually. Um but no, so as far as the week goes, I mean, it was a, I would say it was a little bit of a lackluster week as far as um, returns and volatility. You know, at the beginning of the week, you know, I was, I was watching, that was actually my pick on Stock Talk Weekly. I was long on Tesla and, you know, it didn't stop me from playing it to the upside um, at the beginning of the week. And it was a great run. Um, we knew that there was some resistance there and it rejected the 100 MA and then as, you know, as the market you know, kind of panic sold off here and we found a really good dip. And I mean, it was a perfect, Tesla was the perfect technical setup. There was, um, there was a lot of things fundamentally um, sound in the markets to watch for. Um, I know how the market makers think, so I was able to take advantage. So, you know, it was a week that, you know, a lot of people didn't do well, but there was also people that did very well, extremely well, because there was, although there were some times throughout the week that were very, very boring in the as far as price action is considered but there was so much clear direction once the once the um, price action was determined which direction it was going to go it was very very clear it was blatantly obvious um so for me you know the the market provided some really good gains um the only positions that i had that closed red were positions i'm swinging into next week everything else there was literally no missed trade not not one trade was was red for me personally um so it was a phenomenal week for me um, and our members, of course, our members did really well, too. So um, 
you know, I'm really grateful for the market. I'm really grateful to for option trading being available for retail still. And the amount of retail traders in options is really impactful on how you can make money and take advantage of the volatility. So, um, and Tesla is one of those stocks that has extremely high liquidity and extremely high implied volatility. So for me, as a technical trader, and I look for fundamentals as well, but as a technical driven trader and momentum trader, it is extremely easy to find those setups. And once you have your confirmation, it is almost impossible to miss, which is why people always ask, how do you never miss on Tesla? And it's because you have volatility plus um, liquidity um, plus popularity equals profitability for me at least. So, um, you know, Tesla was the story of the year. I traded it 21 times, um, puts and calls. So it was my best trade of the week combined. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other things too, you know, you know, I don't really want to go into all the different tickers, but there was a lot of good trades. Um, Amazon today into the close was extremely profitable. Um, that there was like a last, it was like towards two thirty something like that. I tr I got some uh, Amazon calls for dirt cheap for Amazon. Anything under a thousand dollars a contract is dirt cheap in my opinion. So we got some of those 2840 calls at 350. Those went up to 39 bucks over the thousand percent returns. Crazy action in Power Hour. Um, I'm sure everybody was hitting hitting those buy buttons in, into the end of the into the end of the day today. So, um, you know, other than that, you know, I I, I set up some uh, semi plays because the SMH is just extremely um, battered down. I'm looking for a really good bounce next week. Um, fingers crossed. But um, I'm not hoping I'm looking for the technical side to be reclaimed. So um, it's not a hope strategy. It's a know it strategy. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm excited for next week, too. So, yeah, other than that, I don't really have anything else. It was a good week for me. Anything we're eyeing setup wise for next week? Anything got you excited going into it or are we just kind of generally excited for the market to be open again? I mean, well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm always excited for the market to be open, but, you know, you have, you know, I'm going to be focusing on some of these um, semi names, uh, some of the tan names or the energy, um, electric vehicles and the popular stocks, the trending stocks. Of course, I'm always going to be watching those. But when you look at some of these broader intraday, intraweek, um, monthly and yearly charts, there are so many stocks that are begging to rip to the upside. And when I see names like Google right underneath, I mean, just right, just barely underneath the 200 MA, which is a 200 daily moving average, you, you see these names that are just a force to be reckoned with, just begging to be bought for longevity. You know, it, there's possible things that can happen. So, um, you know, I remain very hopeful um, for a lot of these bigger names. Um, you know, there, there's some other names that I'll probably post over the weekend or probably early next week that I'm watching. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say focus on um, uh, probably – I might even consider looking at some financials next week too. But uh, I'm, I'm looking at semis and energy and electronic vehicles, and I'll, I'll keep watching the um, uh, war-related names too. Love it. Exclusive. Thank you so much for coming in here. We'll, we'll come back to you for throw maybe a couple tickers at you. Maybe throw some concepts out there, whatever. Um, but definitely we'll come back to you. But I want to keep us moving. Well, actually, first of all, everyone check out Exclusive. He does some fantastic spaces while you're in here. You enjoy spaces. You will enjoy his live trading spaces. Some good alpha in there. Some good free alpha in there. And then with that, Peter, I want to throw it in here. I'm sorry to make you wait this long. I always love getting that energy in here when we can. <laughs> Peter, how we doing? How you feeling about the market? Well, you have pretty much anything you want to say. We're all ears. We love it. 
I appreciate it, guys. No, never too long to wait. I was humbled deeply by um, by listening to the two gentlemen discuss Tesla. I have never in my life, I wish I had a recording of that, because that was the most severe endorsement and breakdown of why Tesla is a great company as a long-term investment. And then to hear from uh, the last gentleman about what a great trading vehicle it's been, it is extraordinary. But the whole story about why what's going on with Tesla as a company and how they've navigated through supply chain issues and what's going on with the two factories and whatnot. That was extraordinary, guys. I'm humbled. I'm a student of you both. Anyway, besides that, I have to admit this was, and, and you know, guys, I don't, I don't invest in the market. I just invest in the forensic breakdown of why markets do what they do. And I, I've got to say that this was bar none the most uh, volatile week in the history of the stock market. There's no question about it. We could go over Monday through Friday what we saw, the bloodbath Monday morning down 1,200 at 1115, the 14, the down 176 handles in the SPY at 1115, the Dow down 1,200 points, the reversal starting at 1210, right? We closed the Dow up 100 and the SPY's up 13 handles. Same reversal, a little tempered down, but still over a 1,000 point reversal on Tuesday. We then saw this crazy short cover early morning on Wednesday. I guess if that's what you want to call it, or just maybe a little irrational enthusiasm coming into the Fed meeting, the thousand point rally on 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 the two o'clock post that we weren't going to raise any rates as if that was some kind of a surprise to anybody. And then the just bearish sell-off, the narrative that Jay Powell just sort of walked this market down. It was almost like Bill Ackman the day he talked the market down into a into a circuit breaker during COVID. I mean, it was ruthless to watch it. And then you had yesterday, which was just wild and crazy. And then today, right? I traded the spiders today. At one point, you know, uh, I mean, I was I was throwing up. Right at two o'clock, I got long spies. And the market just decimated me for the next 18 minutes. By 2.18, I was virtually, I was down astronomical seven figures, uh, you know, trading the spies. And then I just, I held it. I, I held it with the customer. It was just, I mean, it's not me. You know, it's a trade that I, they, that I orchestrate. But these moves, these reversals, you know, I was really grateful that we kind of doubled down and I watched the market, you know, reverse another 1,400 points. These moves, you know, where yesterday we were, we were range bound. You know, and when we talk about anybody in here who's been trading for years, range bound means, you know, 50 cents, a dollar range bound when a stock market sort of in an afternoon sort of trades up and down, you know, 20, 10, 30, 50 cents a dollar, you know, in the SPYs. We were, range, we were range bound in a 300 point range over and over and over again yesterday afternoon. The reversals have been more than a thousand points in the S&P 500 and the Dow. Clearly, guys, never before in history have we seen reversals day after day after day. This was the most volatile week in the history of the New York Stock Exchange, right? And in markets globally. It, it doesn't even matter where you're trading, who you're trading with. You know, so, I mean, once again, I've got to pound the pavement on technical analysis being your only defense against that kind of a market, having an opinion. Funny thing is, it's so funny when you have an, you know, and I'm not talking long-term investing, guys. There were there are opportunities, and I use technical analysis for that too to find a spot. Look, I mean, whether you know it was Microsoft this week or whether it was Tesla this week or whatever, you know, you're seeing this volatility is ruthless. And having an opinion about, look, we see Apple, Apple, right? It always blows out earnings. Yet, if you look at the last five the last five times Apple's uh, uh, blown out earnings, the market has done nothing but go down for the next three days. Yesterday, it, you know, it blew everybody's mind with that. 
because it went nothing but up, right? It did not have enough energy to bring the market up this morning, right? Although it did for a moment, but it broke down. You know, I am I am forever humbled by this kind of volatility, right? You know, I've, I've had deep, deep pain this week, and I've had deep, deep gain this week. You know, um, for using technical analysis, this market is absolutely extraordinary for the opportunities that we're seeing. Um, but having an opinion and getting into a stock on opinion or hope or FOMO or hype, you know, or the internet or whatever the heck's going on is so dangerous. You can be lucky or you can be wrong for 50 points. And, and that humbles me. It really humbles me. You know, it's not, it's not your grandfather's stock market, guys. You know, you get used to be able to get wrong in a stock and you'd lose a buck or if you were smart, you used, you know, stop orders and you got out and moved on to the next story. But guys, here, we, if you're right, you're great. But if you are wrong, you are wrong for 600 points in the SPY. You are wrong for $50 in a stock. And that's painful. That's deeply, deeply painful. So I am humbled by the market. I'm thrilled about next week. I can't wait till this friggin' market opens again. We are three and a half weeks into January. And what have we seen? We have seen a market that is finally engaging whatever the taper is going to bring, whatever the interest rates are going to bring, probably a little bit of a catalyzation by the Ukraine story, although I'm not a big fan of geopolitical stuff having any bearing on the market at all. You know, why, why is everybody surprised at what, what, what uh, Jay Powell said yesterday that made the market react? This shit's been on the menu for four months already, guys. There was no surprises yesterday. Yet the market rallied 1,000 points on the news that he wasn't going. Was anybody expecting a 25 or 50 uh, a point uh, raise yesterday? No. Why did the market rally 1,000 points to the fact that we were not raising the rates? Right, and then proceed to sell off another 1,400 points into the into a really brutal close yesterday. So you know what? It's funny how suddenly, I mean, I'm a big proponent of the fact the market can adapt and absorb one bit of information at a time, maybe two. Right? We never saw a follow-through sell-off when we saw the inflation story or the taper story on its own or the interest rate story on its own. Right? When they started to announce this stuff, you know, six weeks ago, the market rallied 700 points on that news that. We did have a fast track and we did have interest rates coming in 2022, but it never engaged it on the downside. It is kind of a bullish, a bearish uh, indicator, you think, right? And suddenly now we're, we're engaging it. So, you know, uh, there's, this mark, stock market is, 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 is uh, glorious. It's, uh, it's ruthless, it, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing four times in a day, right? You can be up, you can be down, you can be puking your positions out, you can be nauseous. You know, to to dabble lightly, to use technical analysis, surely put a stop order in on whatever they're doing, and and to be a student of the market. We are in a new marketplace, right? We are. We've never seen this kind of volatility before. We've never seen a market that's sort of hard to predict its movement, right? And and it's in my opinion. I've been here since you know Alexander Hamilton was a teenager. So I love you all. Great market. Please be a student of the market. Thank you, Peter. Love the passion, as always. Always bringing it, whether it's 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. in the morning or at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Absolutely love it. Uh, I would love to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, you did kind of hit it on there and how volatile this week was. But I would kind of get your perspective. For me, Monday was definitely the craziest day of them all. That reversal we had from, it really felt like from the depths of, depths of hell, we'll call it, all the way up to the top, um, that, that was one of the most profound reversals I've seen. I wanted to come kind of maybe get your thoughts on, on that and, and maybe what it was like being on the exchange or, or maybe how any of the other days were specifically, but yeah. 
Uh, you know what, guys? Look, the exchange is not doesn't have eight thousand people running around like you know the days of the eighties and nineties. Unfortunately, not, and we're surely on a skeleton crew for COVID. But I have to admit that the volatility and the reversals we saw this week, you could feel it in people's orders. I was sitting around. I'm sitting in the middle of the floor. You can see people trying to, you know, uh, uh, beat the clothes and they got VWAP orders going on. And, and, and you know, how do you trade? How do you how do you try to try to beat the VWAP in a, in a stock that goes down 30 points and up 50 points? Fear, the blood in the streets. I mean, we've seen 1,200 point sellers before, but it just felt different. It was just fast and furious and the way it just you know i mean it, it did hit a bit of a technical level but i don't know you know i'm trying to understand why it did what it did was it you know was it a margin call on crypto you know and everybody was bailing on their position so they didn't have to sell their bitcoin was it retailers selling in fear because they'd never seen this kind of stuff before and they were turning really okay profitable positions into you know decimated red red blood in the streets you know was it the smart money selling and the retailers buying it i don't know and I saw that volatility on Monday and I'm going like, oh, my God, we've never seen this yet. It happened again Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's not going to happen today. And it happened today. Today, we posted out at two o'clock. I had some huge to buy on the close and the market went down 600 points as if it was one whale just bailing on everything, hitting the spies. Boom, boom, boom. It got down to a level and it was as if they were like, OK, I'm going, you know, I'm going to St. Bart's for the friggin weekend. And then suddenly it all turned around and we saw this massive rush. And the gentleman before me talked about it. If you're a, if you're if you're if you're watching the market and you hop on when you're seeing momentum on one way or the other, you were right. But, you know, if you waited around for its complete breakdowns again, you know, and you didn't take profits when you can and you took them when you have to, you know, it's like. I, I, I'm, I'm humbled by the moves. The moves are brutal. And you know what? And we don't often feel it on the floor anymore because you don't see people running around screaming and yelling. But these reversals were felt because I'm standing around watching people working orders. Right. And you're sitting there going, oh, my God, you know, they're thinking, OK, the sell off can't be that bad. I'm going to sort of, you know, go light into a slight algo here and whatnot. And then the next thing you know, the market is down 700 points from where you started selling your stock. And you're going like, I'm screwed here. Right. And then you just start to like get involved and you're putting it in at 10 percent. Algo, be passive, be aggressive, whatever you're doing. And then the shit turns around and it rallies 1500 points. I mean, how does one trade that market? You know, it, it is it is it is it's humbling. You know, as I said today, I got long at two o'clock because my indicators told me that it was going to be a, a, a go into the close. And I proceeded within 11 minutes. I literally was down a million dollars and I'm just about to throw the hell up on my spy position. And I'm going, you know what? I, I refused. I refused to surrender to this shit. Right. And I doubled down and I ended up making, you know, a large sum of money. And, and so, you know, that's that's the feeling. You want to know how I was feeling at two o'clock? I was I had some glee that I was going to go long and it was going to be good at 218. I was literally throwing up in my shoes. And then, you know, at four o'clock, I was just jumping up and down going, holy shit, I got away with another one. You know, it's like kind of like flying in deep, deep turbulence, thinking this is your last plane ride and you're going to die. And then, you know, you come out of it and you're going, why was I so afraid? You know, that was ruthless. You know, have a glass of champagne and let's, you know, get off the plane in Paris and have a party. That was how it felt. <laughs>
I was gonna say I love it, but I don't know if that that's what the, the level we want. We don't want the craziness in there. We want some nice stable markets going in there. Big shout out to you, Peter. For I love you all, guys. I gotta run. Always got that. Have energy. a great way. Have a great weekend, yeah, everybody. Wait, Honored to be. Just stay up here for one more second sure. for me. Just make sure everyone up here click into his profile. Check Peter out. Give him a follow. Check out all our speakers up here. Uh, Peter, I just want to make sure they had that second to go in there. You can head out. Now. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you look, for joining stock, in. Look, us. I love listening to Stock Talk exclusive. I had never heard before. Omar, just guys, I'm honored to be on the panel with you guys. And I love Wolf and I love Stock Market News. So have a great weekend. Good Friday to everybody. Shabbos, and I love you guys. Got to run. Appreciate you joining in as always, Peter. Uh, with that, I, I would love to kind of get back and loop in my amazing co-host, Wolf Financial, on this. We've been going for almost an hour and a half now. And if you know a, a stock market news, if you know me, there's one thing that I think everybody in this space is, needs to hear. One of the best things that we've created completely free, the Google Spaces calendar. Uh, Wolf, can we hear it? Ask and you shall receive. This was a crazy week for anybody that's been following closely. We did 20 spaces this week, over 30 hours on here. I mean, my phone says I log eight and a half hours a day now on Twitter. And uh, you always, you know, got to have a couple tabs up too on your computer. So you never have enough. But I'm sure many of you are not putting in those insane hours. You're probably coming to Twitter at ideal times of the day, trying to, you know, maximize the information that you're getting out of here on the best Twitter spaces. And boy, do we have the tool for you to make that happen. Our Google Calendar that we have created is now subscribed to by over 3,000 unique investors that want to know when every single space is, who's speaking on them, the topic, if there's any updates, right? They can easily get that. And one spot to go to for all recordings of our spaces. Again, this is a free public Google Calendar. And the easiest way to get on it is right now, while you're listening, if you've been enjoying this space, we have a lot more coming to you. Click into either my profile or the main host stock market news and just drop us an email. That is all you have to do. It is completely free. Your information is not shared with anybody. Literally, all we need is an email, preferably a Gmail, works natively with Google Calendar, and that's it. Again, thousands and thousands of people are using this every single day to find our spaces, know exactly when, maximize their time on Twitter, to be honest. CEOs, hedge fund managers, people with millions of followers, verified people, even people who work at Twitter and a number of other notable companies have reached out and asked to be on this. So make your life easy. Join our spaces calendar. Make sure you're following the speakers up here. As long as you're following myself and Stock Market News, when you come in, you'll always see our spaces at the top of your timeline. And trust me, we're doing them more hours of the day than we aren't. So we'll make it worth your while. Perfect. 100% agree. One of the best tools that we've created, completely free, will always be free. Slide into the DMs and you will not regret it. 100% awesome. Love that, Wolf. Um, I want to keep us moving a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll go around one more time quickly, and then we'll head it into wrap-ups. I would like to go over to Brad now, who has been sitting on here so patiently. We went to him about an hour ago at this point, which is kind of crazy. Um, Brad, I-, I would love to kind of maybe if you have any more takes uh, on the market in the week. I know we talked a lot about Match Group, but maybe some more thoughts throughout the week. Would maybe love to hear your thoughts on, on PayPal if you did anything there. But uh, in general, yeah, Brad, I want to bring you back into it. Yeah, uh, nothing, nothing really more on on the PayPal front or the uh, or, or that other front to to talk about. Um, did a little adding on PayPal um, this week. Excited to to, to look at its earnings report um, next week. Really excited to look at its earnings report actually. Um, and it's going to be the topic of my um, February deep dive. I'm going to publish 
the upstart deep dive on Sunday. Hopefully, I was I was just editing that um, while we were talking. I'm really excited to publish it, and and then just looking forward to to next week. I'm just I'm just I'm very excited for for earnings season because um, when when we get these periods of indiscriminate selling, uh, it the, the indiscriminate selling doesn't take take a minute to decide which company is is thriving and, and which company is inherently broken from a fundamental perspective. So it, it's just um, it, it's it's another it'll it'll be another data point. It'll it'll be another um, another batch of evidence for me determining and, and and it's a process of frequently determining and reiterating and re-verifying which of my companies are continuing to do what they need to do to justify my conviction and to justify my capital. Um, so especially over these last three months where we've just had um, straight downward price action in growth land, which is predominantly where I invest, um, I'm, I'm excited to see which of these companies um, don't warrant don't warrant this 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 massive sell-off. And I think there's quite a few in my portfolio that do. And I think there's going to turn out to be a few um, where where the fundamental performance um, deteriorates to a point where these sell-offs are, are pretty justified. I'm thinking of, of like a, a curiosity stream again. I don't know if I brought that up two hours ago or in this space. It's been a really long day. But um, yeah, for, for something like a curiosity stream and how the revenue mix is, has, has skewed way more towards lumpy content sales than, than more visible and recurring subscription sales, so uh, with an $8 cost basis and at more than 50% off that level, normally I, I'd, love, I'd love to add into that. I'd love to accumulate into that. Um, but, but just looking under the hood, despite the fact that they're hitting their top line numbers, the way that they're hitting their top line numbers doesn't really appear to be all that sustainable to me. So that, that's, just, that's just one example of many of, of some of these companies that, that I'm, I'm excited to, to hear. I'm just very excited to hear them talk so that I can get more current data on, on how they're doing, on, on how... They're envisioning these extremely uncertain next next eleven months, um, and, and yeah, I'm excited to to listen into all of those and and to report on all of them. Next week will be Facebook or, or Meta, I guess I should call it, um, and then Match Group and then PayPal. So so hopefully, good news to report. But I mean, if there's bad news to report, I'll I'll be reporting that as well. Um, so have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, and and great talking to all of you, and and really enjoy listening to everyone. Perfect. Appreciate you joining in, Brad, as always. Definitely become one of the crew, that, you know, one of the constant crew that we've had on here, Stock Talk as well, exclusive as well. Everyone up here right now is someone that we have on at least, I'm going to say four or five times a week. I feel like that's fair enough. Like, these people, you must be following up here. You probably already are. Check every single one of them out. Uh, you know, it is 5.30 on a Friday. I will, uh, Eastern, I, I know some of us are not here on Eastern time. So I, I will kind of use this as a wrap up. Brad, you kind of did throw us in there a little bit. Um, before we get into the next one, Stock Talk, I still do want to hear how your week was in the market. We really only got to hear uh, about Tesla. So still do want to throw that to you in a second. But uh, I will give us over to Wolf to talk about something that I actually pinned up in the nest above quickly. Well, perfect. And before I talk about that, the one account that y'all are in the audience and haven't really been hearing from is the Bullish Rippers account that's up here. And a big shout out to Bullish Rippers. It's kind of the love child of myself in stock market news. We're doing three spaces a week from Bullish Rippers. I'm hosting a power hour on Mondays in addition to a second space. And then Stock Market News is hosting from that a long-term investing space 
on Thursdays at 12 p.m. And we have been getting amazing responses to those. He's also tweeting from the account. So if you like really good finance tweets, some memes, some information thrown in there, as well as top tier spaces, check out the Bullish Rippers account. There's also a newsletter uh, that I believe you could just go right into the bio and click in the bio and subscribe. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. In addition to that, um, I appreciate him pinning up top. I just put out uh, my weekly newsletter as well. Um, I spend like 60 hours a week on Twitter. And big shout out to Joey Feuerstein, who's been a massive help with this newsletter and been writing a lot of this newsletter um, on a consistent basis. He's up here in the crowd. You can see he's been getting, I think his followers doubled this week. So check out Joey. But essentially, if you're like me, you're not into, you know, tons of long form reading, or maybe you are, and that's okay too. But I wanted to make something for the average FinTwit person that they could get through in three to five minutes, make their life easy, but still get a taste of the best content on Twitter. And if you go into my bio, you can see it. It's, it's kind of like pinned to my bio, but that's the weekly how we've had an immense response. We're almost at 3000 subs on this, but basically we scour Twitter every week. We find the 10 best tweets of the week, and then we highlight them in our newsletter. Uh, we have stuff highlighting everything from market corrections and ARKK. We have a Brad Freeman tweet in there this week, stock market nerd, about his approach to stock picking. Um, we've got you know crypto memes. We've got uh, stuff about buying the dip in there and a whole bunch more. There's a five-star tweet section. So I think you all really like it and check that out. Again, it's pinned up top. I posted the whole one as a thread, or you can click in, check it out in my bio. It's a once-a-week read for three minutes. It's about as least time that you can dedicate towards the newsletter while still getting quality content. So appreciate you giving me a minute to highlight that, Evan. Um, I'll probably have to hop off in about five to 10 minutes, but really excited to hear from the rest of these speakers. And again, we've uh, been getting all of our shout outs, but Stock Market News is the real G here. Let's, uh, let's myself take the lead on so many spaces throughout the week. And this is kind of like his crown of the week, his space. Uh, he, he's tweeting up a storm during the week, especially with earnings season this coming week. You're not going to want to be not following stock market news. Literally, he'll sit on the calls for you and tweet out exactly what's happening. And you won't have to go and listen to hours of calls and you'll know what's happening. So check out what stock market news is doing. Appreciate the time, bud. I appreciate you, Wolf. As always, I'm here to support everything you do. Wolf Financial Team does. So happy to do it. Such a great uh, and entertaining newsletter. Uh, a good time to put it out as well on Fridays. I love it. Uh, I'm going to keep us moving as, as there. I also appreciate the shout out uh, a lot as well. Uh, I want to bring stock talk back into it. Uh, another one of the OGs on the spaces. We spent at least, I mean, what 20 hours together on spaces this week, as always. Uh, one of my favorite accounts uh, on FinTwit, a great person on spaces. So definitely do check them out, but we never even got to hear how your week was in the market. So I would love to hear that stock talk and maybe some, you know, wrap ups, closing thoughts, anything like that. Stock talk weekly, daily, minutely, hourly, monthly. Secondly. Yeah. The sorry. Okay. Too. Sorry. My, <laughs> I'm, I'm, my mic thing is always messed up. But what was the question just on um, the general outlook for the week, what I traded? Yeah. So how, how was your week in the market? And then kind of wrap ups, anything you're looking for next week, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was a, obviously a volatile week, choppy week. So I just tried to play, you know, what came to me in the short term. Um, played a lot more uh, just day trades today than I normally do. I mean, not today, uh, this whole week in general. Um, today we had some nice calls in our Discord. TSDR called, I, mean, I see him down there, called a monster call on NVIDIA puts. They ran like 350% in an hour, which was a really nice call. Um, played some Apple autos with Vegas into the close. Those ran like 500%. Um, and then uh, played ChargePoint. 
just as a day trade with with commons i took a bunch of size i actually took like i put like 30 percent of my trading port in it this morning and it ran like 10 percent today um but i just sold all of it before the close didn't want to hold anything over the weekend but that was a nice little equity day trade got 10 percent on that one um but you know it's different because obviously with my equity day trades i'm doing them with a lot more size than my options day trades so you know those 10 percent gains can be substantial but yeah pretty much all week that's what we've been doing we played rivian puts yesterday played tqq puts yesterday um played tesla puts yesterday um played uh netflix calls yesterday um what else did we play? play we, we got into fast puts this week those haven't moved for me i got into those around a quarter they're still sitting at a quarter uh with the week close uh i'm looking at those uh puts on that play because fast so that was a low float d spack they open up uh their unlock next week well hopefully the effect will be next week they filed their amended s1 this week so you would expect that the effect filing would go live next week, which means that, you know, that low float is going to become about 10 times bigger, um, which should drive the stock down at least a few dollars. It's trading in the nines right now. I expect it to go to at least the sixes. Um, so we got some puts on that, just kind of waiting on those. They haven't moved much. Um, but yeah, just a bunch of day trades this week, really good day trades. Um, which was nice because a lot of them were big gainers, you know, multi hundred percent gainers. And, um, it helped taper down some of the losses that my long-term portfolio took this week, which was definitely a bumpy week for, for the long-term portfolio. But, you know, to start the week off, we had a really nice trade with smile direct club, uh, off that short squeeze. We had a really nice trade trade with M and MD, um, from my buddy mass trades. He kind of plugged us, plugged us in on that one. Um, another, I, I would say probably the most profitable trade of the week for me though, was playing cores on both sides. Um, we played the cores puts and the por- cores calls on both sides. Um, the cores calls, I got out way too early. They ended up running like four or 500%. I got out for like less than a hundred percent gains. So was kind of mad about that, but not really. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. um, didn't expect it to explode as much as it did, but yeah, just kind of playing the both sides and not having a bias is what I've been doing over the last few months. Um, and especially this week, I think trading with a bias in a, in a choppy climate like this is a good way to lose money. Um, you know, trying to hold on to things and hope that they're going to go in the direction that you want is just not productive. So, you know, I've been playing, like I said, I mean, I own a ton of Tesla equity, still play Tesla puts this week. So, you know, there's, always room to to play both sides of, of a position whether or not you own it um and so i try to practice what i preach but yeah lots of amazing calls this week not only from you know uh my colleagues and and people that i trade with but um we had some really nice just bottom calls and and top calls on different trades as well so um productive week good week um which is which is you know nice to be able to say uh on a week that a lot of people lost a lot of money but uh, you know, looking at next week, I think we have reasons to be potentially bullish in the short term. Um, you know, I tend to read the, the notes that the banks put out on kind of the macroeconomic environment. Um, I kind of want to talk just briefly about, you know, JP Morgan uh, put out a, a, a tweet on on positioning um, or not a tweet. Sorry, I put out a tweet about it. They put out a note on positioning 
<laughs> JP Morgan put out a tweet, imagine. Um, they put out a note on positioning, um, and they were just discussing some of the reasons to be uh, bullish in the near term. They mentioned that, you know, the month and pension rebalance uh, for this month might drive, they, they said, quote-unquote, sizable flows into equities, um, especially given the fact that we've had a month-to-date underperformance in equities, right? This is, like, I think the worst January ever for SPY and the Qs. Um, I might be wrong on that, but I think that is what we ended up having. So, you're right. Yeah, so worst worst month ever for SPYs in the Qs. And so, you know, month-to-date underperformance and – uh, JP Morgan thinks that's going to cause a lot of equity inflow. Um, you know, they, they anticipated it would start today, which they were right. Um, and they think it'll last through at least next week. Uh, another big thing they mentioned was that buyback blackouts are going to peak on Monday. Um, so buyback blackouts are basically blackouts where companies are not able to buy back stock. Um, and so those peak on Monday. So they should start tapering down as of Tuesday next week, which would potentially or at least theoretically drive equity inflows as well. And the last thing they noted was that investor sentiment um, is overly bearish. They said excessively bearish um, because the put to call ratio is the highest since March 2020, which obviously was the crash. Um, and it's it's much too close to that to that ratio from March. Um, I don't know what the exact ratio was in March, but uh, JP Morgan said it's much too close. And so they, that's kind of a three-pronged approach as to why they were bullish coming into today. And I'm glad I read that note because the note came out last night um, and it said coming into today they were bullish. And so I kind of took you know that with a grain of salt but but bought into it and, and it worked out today. So we'll see if that lasts through Monday and next week. But you know, I think with NASDAQ been in correction territory for a while, you know, was down 17% from the highs at one point, um, you know, approaching that bear market uh, trajectory, I, th- I think there's room for buyers to step in on the queues and maybe not buy it up with a lot of breath, but I think there's names on the queues that, that are starting to become compelling. And so, you know, in the short term, I think we see some buyers on the queues. Um, Spy, I think, can still go either way. I, I, don't, I don't think there's been as much pressure on Spy. Um, you know, it's only dropped a little bit over 10%, which is still a correction, technically uh, speaking, you know, by definition. But, you know, SPY, I think, can go either way. The cues I'm starting to feel bottomy, not, you know, as in I'm calling a bottom for the year or anything, but just from a trading perspective to play the bounces in some names in the NASDAQ, I think it's starting to get to a better juncture. Um, very funny that, that Kramer was talking about going short yesterday and then today everything rips. It was just really funny timing, but, um, you know, that's one thing, but, you know, outside of that, I really do think that the cues are, are ripe for nibbling and, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't think I feel the same way about spy yet, but I'm going to continue to read these notes. You know, I really encourage people who are maybe skeptical about analyst ratings from banks, which, you know, understandably so. Um, you should be because a lot of those analyst ratings come, you know, after the fact and, and will come after earnings. But the thing, the things that I think banks do really well and bank analysts do really well are these notes that they put out regularly on, you know, macroeconomic conditions or market conditions. And they kind of give you a reason, you know, justification of whether you should be bullish or bearish. So, you know, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs all put out these notes regularly. So I encourage people to read them the people who don't because they can very often put you in a better um, 
you know, mindset to be able to position your portfolio versus people who are just flying blind and making their own assumptions about the market. These guys have a lot more analytical resources than, than the retail trader. So yeah, just kind of riding on JP Morgan's thesis going into next week. Um, I think there's a good shot. We get, you know, a couple green days next week, but we'll see how it turns out. I'll continue to play it day by day either way. Perfect. I appreciate you joining in stock talk. Definitely someone you got to be checking out and, and making sure you're following. And shout out, if you want more access to him, you heard the expert thesis there, you heard the knowledge there, check the, the link in his bio. You'll be able to get into his Discord group. Some really great alpha going on there. I also wanted to give a big shout out to Brad's newsletter, which is posted in the, the nest above. Go in, check that out. It's free. Some great content, some great news on, on a lot of the stuff that he covers. So definitely something that you must check out as well. I and yours. Two hands up. I appreciate that, Brad. Big shout out. Big shout out. Thank you, man. Uh, hey, we should do some some cross links or whatever, but we'll talk about that in the DMs. I think it's a move. Uh, but Wolf, uh, I'd love to throw it over to you first and, and get your wrap ups. Or Joey, do we got to go first? Yeah, um, I'm I'm popping off. Um, but I'm I'm really enjoying this. I think everybody knows that. Yeah, Brad and exclusive. Some of the guys that are going to always have amazing, amazing knowledge in their wrap up. So everybody should be staying on here the whole time. Just have a family meal. But thank you so much, Evan. And I'm excited for this next week in the market. And, you know, let everyone know that we will have a ton of spaces. We already have 15 spaces on the calendar. And that's honestly, I haven't really even really started planning yet. Those are like 15 spaces that are kind of just like naturally there. So expect probably around 20 next week. I'm looking forward to it. And I will defer the rest of my time to Joey. Appreciate it, man. So yeah, just a uh, real quick, some closing thoughts here, a bit of context. I'm a long-term investor, primarily invested in ETFs, but I also have a good amount of capital and a handful of individual names I like. And this was a really great week for my two biggest individual positions being Disney and Apple. So Disney has been beaten down pretty bad the last few months, but they bounced back and were up 3% this week, which was great to see. Disney's parks business is definitely starting to come back as the pandemic is fortunately coming to an end soon. And the CEO also reiterated the strong projections he has for Disney Plus streaming service. So that was great to see them starting to bounce back a bit. And then Apple, as everyone knows, killed it this last quarter. I got back in and I added to my position once they dipped below 160 recently. So it was really encouraging to see them come back really strong. So when I got back in, their PE, their 2022 forward PE was less than tw a 26 times multiple there. And they have such strong fundamentals. So that was a really attractive entry point for me. So definitely bullish on the future there. So it was a really solid week. Um, my ETFs have been performing well as well. So it uh, was really solid. And with that said, thanks so much for – have me up here it's a pleasure to be up here with these great speakers be sure to check them out and again be sure to slide in the dms for uh stock market news he's you know putting on these phenomenal spaces so be sure to send your gmail so you can keep track of all these spaces so thanks so much for having me up here appreciate you joey love all the help you get on the wolf account great guy great account to follow everyone check him out uh appreciate you make sure you're following all the speakers up here i said it a bunch of times uh, we're going to head into the last wrap-up, and I promise you, certainly not the least wrap-up exclusive. We are super lucky to have him on these spaces, uh, a great uh, addition to the crew, so we're always lucky to have him on uh, exclusive. I would love to hear your wrap-ups uh, and, and what you're maybe looking forward to next week. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was kind of looking at some, uh, sorry, we have people over and I've been a little bit distracted, but I was looking at a couple of charts, um, mainly Tesla, um, cause you know how, how much I have a decent love and hate relationship with that stock. So, um, you know, normally, you know, it's kind of funny. So normally people are really, really focused on what I do on Fridays because they know I trade Tesla on Friday. And for some reason, and this was just purely off of intuition, there was a technical setup too off of the 200 MA, but really it was more intuition. And, you know, I felt to myself that, you know, the swing failure pattern on Amazon that led it to where the price it's at today, I felt like the market makers were going to start buying it. So what did I do? I waited until the end of the day. I waited until it was beaten down. So I started buying Amazon on my commons account. And I also set up for some, and I know when I buy size and common stock, it'll probably move the stock a little bit because the uh, volume spike brings in a lot of other buyers. And I noticed that a lot of people started buying into it and I had some options going into it. So I'm going to start looking at Amazon long. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to get any leaps or swings, anything just yet, because like uh, stock talk weekly just said, you know, this is a very, very scalpers delight um, derivative market right now. So um, swinging is, you know, just it, swings in volatility work against you. You you open your positions up to gap downs or gap ups, depending on your position, you know, and you don't as a retail investor, you owe it to yourself to have the patience that you're gifted with. You're not an institution, so you don't have to force 20 trades in a day to meet your quota. You can you can sit back and sit on your hands and just wait for the perfect setups and you can strike when when the you know, when the opportunity presents itself. Um, so going into next week, that's what I'll be focusing on um, are some of the, you know, mega large caps. Um, like I said earlier, uh, more of the semis names because you, you saw the damage that's been done to them. Um, and I'm going to be focusing on names in the SPY, NASDAQ and Qs, um, particularly in the Qs, because I noticed from I believe it was uh, the anchored VWAP from October uh, when it when it touched the 100 uh, day moving average. You know, you can set an anchored VWAP there and you can see that you know, that was the level that it managed to hold um, since then. So it, it's been really, and that level right now sits at 347.22. So it, it's been really fun watching, you know, bears trying to push the markets and ETFs, but particularly the queues, they're trying to push everything below that level, but the bulls are defending at the last moment. So um, I, I'm really, you know, I'm more bullish than bearish, but I don't have a bias. But, you know, I, I always root for the bulls because, you know, everyone's making money when the stocks are going up and uh, most people are losing money when it's only going down. So, um, you know, I, I like where the queues are sitting. Um, I'm still a little bit weary under 365.80 um, because, you know, like I said, it's it's a lot of buyers are waiting to step in at those levels. So it's really important for me um, as a majority bull to wait for the right setups. And, you know, once... You know, once we're into uh, somewhat of a bullish neutral um, or, dare I say, bullish market, because this isn't a bullish market. And once we get in there, it's going to be open season. And I'm going to be looking to reclaim some uh, profit that I wasn't able to take these past few weeks and just watch paint dry. So, um, you know, individual tickers. Uh, let me pull up my handy dandy watch list. So I'm probably going to put out a watch list on Twitter um, versus just in my discord, I'll probably put out a watch list on Twitter again. Um, and I won't put 165 names on it. I'll probably only put 10 or 20. And, you know, some of the names that I've already gotten over earlier, I'm going to probably be adding um, some other names that 
are a little bit less, uh, just a little bit less attention on them. So let me pull these up. Okay, so um, as far as names that um, I'm going to be paying attention to next week, I'll probably be looking at DocuSign, um, Trade Desk, Upstart, Zoom, Adobe, um, Nicola, Moderna, Apple, Peloton, Shopify, DoorDash, Overstock. Um, I was already in MasterCard and Visa, but I'm still going to be looking for those um, continuation levels, as well as Affirm, even though Affirm had a great move. And I played the downside today after the overextension on the stock. It was just apparent that it was going to fall. Um, but I'm going to be looking at some continuation in some of these names, and you know, particularly in the semis, um, NVIDIA, AMD. Um, and, and I'd like to see some uh, communications start to move a little bit in our favor um, for the bulls. But, um, you know, I, I'm looking at the SPY and the Qs into the close um, for options. On the option side, I saw a lot of volume. You know, I was watching it for the last 15 minutes, and there was a lot of bullish activity going into the last um, five minutes particularly. So, and I'm talking about, you know, $100,000, $200,000, dollars orders individually. So, you know, there are a lot of people expecting a bullish move next week. Um, but again, I won't believe a move until I see it, and I'll be riding the wave either way. And um, yeah, there, there's a lot of names that are just oversold at this point. So it's really easy to find a move to the upside when everything's you know oversold. So just uh, take your time and wait for the A-plus setups and don't force anything. Um, and, and more importantly, enjoy the weekend and actually recharge, do something you love, spend time with someone you love, and just enjoy life because you know as as a lot of people will tell you you know being a investor or trader you you forget to spend time outside of looking at charts you know journaling your trades and preparing you know your plans and all that good stuff but you need to also make time for your your personal lives and you know have some uh some relaxation in there every now and then so um that that's going to be the thesis going into the weekend if you will is um you know, I'm going to be focusing on me. So sorry, guys, on Discord, I'm not going to be responding to support tickets or I won't be in the chat as much, but um, definitely going to be enjoying the weekend. Appreciate that exclusive. As always, love having you on. Quick shout out to the Discord. The link for that is in his bio. Uh, make sure you're following him. He's going to be releasing, like as he said, his watch list for the upcoming week there. Make sure you're checking out all the speakers that we have up here. I'm going to get a little bit into it. Uh, my own wrap-ups here. First of all, I think the next time we're going to see you guys live on Spaces will be Sunday at either 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. EST for Stock Talk Weekly's Trade of the Week space. Just want to confirm Stock Talk. That's going to be active this week or live? It's probably away from his phone. We'll come back to him. I'll, I'll, I'll send him a DM, but I would assume that is live. Big shout out to everyone that came in, all my speakers, all the listeners who really come in, get value, and, and make this worth doing. I'm super excited to be able to do this each and every single week. As Gav said earlier, Wolf Financial, we are doing this about 15 to 20 times live on Spaces is what I mean by doing this. Uh, every single week, uh, we are bringing you guys at least 40 hours of content. So make sure you're checking out my page. Check out, make sure you're checking out all the speakers up here. As I said, these are the OGs. These are the people we have on, on, on every single week, at least four or five times a week. Uh, you know, they're backbones of the content, and we really appreciate them, them, uh, myself, and, and Wolf Financial. Big shout out to the Bullish Rippers account that, that is up here. 
I personally am the person who tweets from that account and, and do a lot from behind it. If you want to support me, check out that account. Check out the newsletter that, that goes along with it. That's the pin tweet on the Bullish Rippers, the Green Raccoons account. That's the latest edition. And you could also check in my bio if you want. There's a really easy way to get onto my newsletter as well. Uh, I'll shut up with the uh, the promo, the self-promo there. It's not something I like to do often. Uh, make sure you're checking out all the links of my speakers up here. Go into their bios, click the links. They each have one in there. Check them out. Go follow it. Go follow them. You will not regret it. Everyone, enjoy your weekend. As Exclusive said, it's 6 p.m. on a Friday. So uh, I think it's a safe time to say, you know, for the night, it's good to turn off the computers, turn off the phone, do whatever, and, and do what makes you happy and, and do some stuff outside of the markets for one night. Uh, I'm going to be grinding on the markets 100% a little bit tomorrow, getting some good work in when the markets are closed. It's when you get that extra alpha, extra, extra time in. But you definitely do have to make time for family, for friends, for happiness, for whatever. So make sure you're doing that tonight. Everyone, I'm visioning that meme right now, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. And with that, uh, everyone have a good time, and we'll see you Sunday at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., one of those Eastern for Stock Talk Weekly's Trade of the Week space. Thank you.